devices and flip, switch, swipe to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin with verse number 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse number 22. I don't have a special building sermon. I just have more of the word of God, the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse number two, 22. As you see here at the British Church, our custom and tradition is to stand in honor and reverence to our holy God. So thank you for standing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter number two, verse number one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of a darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You may be seated. We've been making our way through the book of 1 Peter. This book 
is written by the apostle Peter to, as he designates, elect exiles, pilgrims traveling through this barren land. And to these exiles who are experiencing all manners of suffering and persecution and various trials, he writes this letter to encourage them to stand firm in the hope of the future return of Jesus Christ. He lets them know that he understands that they live in a hostile world because of their faith. But he wants them, his readers, and us by extension to remain hopeful in a hostile world. Now, being hopeful is not wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation and the promises of God. Friends, God is faithful. He keeps his word. He is not a man that he should lie. God is truth. That's all he can do is speak the truth. So whatever God says must come to pass. And so he says, I want you to have hope, but hope is just not sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Hope has ethical implications. Our future hope affects our present holiness. And so last week we looked at verses 13 through 21 and he says to us individually to be holy for God is holy. Now he moves from his exhortation to the individual, how they should live individually to how they should live communally. Beloved, one's covenant relationship with God is never an individual matter. Friends, listen. Salvation is always personal, but it's never private. To be chosen by God and set apart by the Spirit, by the blood of Christ, means necessarily coming into relationship with others who have also been chosen. Friends, the Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. Oh, this is a hard word for us Western Christians who, who, who value our autonomy, our individualism, and me just doing me. But friends, we must remember that we are members of a body. The church is a beloved community. And so now to this beloved community, he says, here are my instructions for living in the midst of a hostile world. Can I give them to you briefly? Actually, I got my own building now. I can go for a while. Ah. Hey, now. <laughs> the first thing, the first thing that he says in verses 22 to 25, is that he says, I want you to love the people of God. Love the people of God. Look, the main command of this section is in the last clause of verse 22, where he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
That's the command. That's the application. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This command in verse 22 is sandwiched between two reasons why we ought to love one another. Let's begin there. He says at the beginning of verse 22, the first reason that we ought to love one another is because we have purified our souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Their souls were purified or cleansed when? When they obeyed the truth of the gospel. The truth is often how the gospel is referred to in the New Testament. And the truth of the gospel is always something to be obeyed. The gospel demands a response. The gospel, let's make sure we're on the same page. Here's the good news, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place. He became our substitute because of our sins. What we deserve, Jesus took on himself on a hill at Calvary, on on a cross. He was buried, but on the third day, he rose victoriously from the grave with all power in his hands. That's the good news, friends. But but that good news demands a response. And here's the response that is demanded of the gospel. Belief. Let me make make sure we're all on the same page here about what this idea of belief means. Belief or faith or trust in the gospel is not simply mental assent to the fact No, 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 no. It's not enough to just believe the gospel. There are going to be a lot of people in hell who agree with the gospel. Matter of fact, even Satan believes the truth about the gospel. But here's the difference. Belief in the gospel means we commit our lives to Christ. Belief, when you hear, you ought to think commitment. Think about it. When Jesus would call a person uh, to believe the gospel, he would tell them, follow me. In Jewish rabbinical life, to to, to follow a rabbi, and Jesus was oftentimes called a rabbi, it meant to forsake your former life so that your new life become And so when Jesus summons us to to follow him, remember that Jesus says, when you follow me, you got to really be ready. Because foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if you have to be homeless? Belief requires commitment. It requires surrender. To believe is to surrender one's life to Christ. To To believe is to submit one's life under the Lordship of Christ. So when we believe, we obey the gospel. And friends, when we obey the gospel, our souls are simultaneously cleansed and purified from the corruption and filthiness of sin. The blood of Christ washes away our sin and makes us white as snow. And so Peter says, when you obey the gospel, your souls were purified. This is who you are. 
He says, so your souls have been purified by obedience to the truth. Get this, get this. For purpose, a sincere brotherly love. Yeah, for a, underline it, sincere brotherly love. That word sincere is crucial here in our text. In the original language, that word sincere actually means without hypocrisy. Remember that in Greek culture, a hypocrite was a play actor. The way they they performed their role was by putting on a mask. And the mask covered up who they really were so that they could play their part. The mask concealed their true self. And Peter says, as Christians, as followers of Christ, We're called to a different kind of love. We're called to a love that is not hypocritical. Peter is calling us to an unmasked love. A love that does not pretend. A love that is genuine. A love that is real. And beloved, This is risky. We like to wear masks. We don't want people to see us for who we really are. We don't want people to know we actually jacked up. We are ashamed and fear judgment. So put on masks. We think as if we got it all together that causes us to put up walls. We keep people at arm's length. We disdain vulnerability. Peter says, this is insincere. You're playing a part. You're a hypocrite. So Peter's encouragement to his readers and to us is this. You don't have to hide behind your mask anymore. You've been cleansed, washed, and made new through Jesus Christ. This is who you really are. So you can take your mask off now. Peter argues then that we should love one another because we've been converted through the gospel. Oh, how this would change the authenticity of our church if we would see ourselves as God sees us in Christ. The problem that we have in the church now is that we have an epidemic of identity crises. Too many of us stick out our chest because of how much money we have, because of our career, because the the side of town we live on. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. We like to stick out our church. That becomes who we are. And guess what? Part, so do we. Why? Because we don't know who we really are. And Peter says the way, the way you overcome all of that is just by taking off the mask. How it would transform even the bridge church we would just take off the mask. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you your neighbor's business for you real quick. All right? They jacked up. 
As good as they look this morning, they jacked up. It's in the book. That's it. It's in the book, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. There you go. Guess who all is? All y'all and me too, I guess. <laughs> and friends, what that means is you are jacked up. So stop pretending. That's the title of my sermon. No more pretending. No more pretending. It's time out for being hypocrites. With one what, what, what would our small groups look like if we would take off our mask? Y'all come complaining to me. Let me take care of some business visitors. Y'all act like y'all not here. Y'all come complaining to me that our bridge groups are superficial. That ain't my fault. No, I didn't do that. It's because keep your mask on. But you know what? I'm not afraid to take off my mask. Y'all know a lot of my business. I don't told y'all more business than I ever expected to ever tell anybody. But you know what? I don't care what y'all think about me. Because guess what? At my core, guess who I am? I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. So Peter says, what I'm calling you to is no more pretending. Take off your mask. That is sincere love. So that's the first reason we ought to love one another, because we've been purified. But secondly, he says, you can also love one another, verse 23, because we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living word of God. He said, born again, folk, love one another. Why does the Bible use this language of being born again? I'm glad you ask. Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Friends, without Christ, every human being is, are simply dead men walking. We are spiritually dead, and what we need more than anything is new life. Well, the only way to have new life is by birth. Every man, woman, boy, and girl needs to be reborn. I think I do need it. This is my sweat rack. And so what does God do for us? God regenerates our souls by giving us new life. Notice the subject of my last sentence. I said it is God that causes new birth. We do nothing to be born again. Just as we did nothing to be born into the world physically the first time. Friends, you can't do anything to cause yourself to be born again. You're dead. You're powerless. You're lifeless. And so God has to breathe new life into our souls through the power of his spirit. But Peter says that the spirit works in concert with the word of God to bring new life to the believer. The word of God, scripture, the Bible, is the seed that gives life. Peter contrasts the seed of the word with the seed of man. Can y'all get with me? All right, I don't want to need to make it plainer than that. Seed. Peter.
Peter's, what Peter is showing us, he's saying that the seed of man is perishable. The seed of man is corrupt and it is temporal. And, and, and that seed of man, the father passes that to his offspring so that his offspring are also corrupt and temporal. I know, I know we got a bunch of newborns in the church right now and y'all think they little angels. Well, as they get older, those, those little wings on those angels get shorter and shorter and shorter. <laughs> they get it from their daddy. <laughs> but Peter says, that's not so with our heavenly father. The seed, which is the word of God, is eternal and imperishable. It lasts forever. That's what God uses. That's the means that God uses to cause new birth. So then, this is Peter's argument. Because you've been purified and because you've been born, love one another. And friends, this is what the church in a hostile world needs, to love one another. What a timely word for the church. We need agape love. This is the type of love that is unconditional. They tell me we in the hood, so let me make it hood real quick. This is the type, this is a ride or die love. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your neighbor. Friends, this is a love that sacrifices. It is love, ooh, 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 y'all ain't gonna like this one. This is the kind of love that seeks the good of another even at one's own personal expense. Can, do, do you need an illustration? Good, I'll give you one. Jesus. See him on the cross. What did he do? He committed no wrong. Pilate even said, I find no fault in him. But yet he came to the earth. God became a man and hung on the cross, died the worst death one could die at the time. Why? For your good. So that you could be redeemed, so that you could be saved, so that you could be right with your Friends, it's an unselfish kind of love. It's a love that puts the welfare of others First, friends, this is a countercultural kind of love. Because the world teaches you to take care of you and yours. I've seen y'all post on Facebook. Yeah, y'all act like I ain't on Facebook. I'm just worried about me and mine. That ain't love. It's passive hatred. All right, I'll move on. Does this do? Your love for others? Secondly, not only do I want you to love the people of God, but you also have to crave the word of God. That's verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Peter helps us make progress towards loving one another sincerely. What does sincere, genuine, unmasked love look like? Verse 1, chapter 2. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Friends, what Peter has just listed off are behaviors that destroy relationships. These are all attitudes and actions that destroy community. 
And Peter says we ought to get rid of anything that quenches love for others. This list he gives us are examples of insincere love, malice. It's a word that's used for any kind of evil behavior. It it is a mean-spirited or vicious attitude or disposition. Deceit, that's manipulation. It's taking advantage through underhanded methods. Hypocrisy, we've talked about that. It's creating a public impression that is at odds with one's real self. Jealousy, concern for one's own status above the concern for the welfare of others. Slander, it's speaking ill of another. Peter says all these things destroy community. They're all examples of insincere love. These sins, and they are sins, friends, are the way of the flesh. It's carnality. So then how do we overcome these fleshly temptations? Y'all asking some good questions this morning. How can we be free of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and slander? I think Peter gives us somewhat of a clue in the next verse, verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into salvation. Remember, Peter just told us you ought to love one another because you've been born again. And so he uses this image, this metaphor of being born again, and he brings it back to remembrance. He says, just like a newborn, the only way you're going to grow is through the word of God. The word of God feeds the soul. Friends, a Christian cannot grow without the word of God. There is no other way. The word of God is foundational to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. Beloved, cannot reach spiritual maturity without the word of God. So Peter says, you better crave it like a newborn babe. Now, some of you may be experiencing some guilt, conviction, at this point. You want to read the Bible regularly, but for whatever reason, you just can't crave it like newborn babes crave milk. How do I obey this command, because it is a command, to long, to desire, to crave the Word of God? Peter helps us a little bit. Look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter here is remembering Psalm 34, verse 8, what we just read earlier in our call to worship. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says what you need to help you crave is a taste of the Lord's goodness. Well, since y'all got quiet on me, let me add a couple of minutes to the sermon. (laughs) I experienced this phenomenon on yesterday afternoon. Yesterday, after we got done moving here at the church, uh, Emmanuel, our organist, uh, and I stopped by Panera Bread. You know that uh, expensive fast food. <laughs> I, I stopped there because I promised my daughter Brianna I would bring her some lunch because she was watching Lily all day. And uh, 
Emmanuel, so Emmanuel got him something too. He ordered a barbecue chicken mac and cheese from Panera, $10. (laughs) (laughs) So we we brought the food back to our house. We were sitting at my kitchen table, and uh, Emmanuel got the pick two. Pick two, you can get uh, half of something and something else. So he got a small sandwich and the barbecue mac and cheese. It wasn't as much as it may sound, okay? Uh, But it was fulfilling. So he's eating his sandwich, and Emmanuel opened the bowl of the mac and cheese, and y'all, that aroma just smacked me in the face. I was like, you gonna let me taste that? (laughs) Emmanuel, being the good brother that he is, he said, yeah, go ahead. So he gave me a fork, an unused fork, by the way. And so I took that unused fork, and I put it into that mac and cheese, and I got a bite. I got everything that was in there. Y'all, it had these little onion strings and chicken and the barbecue sauce and the mac and cheese. It was white cheese, too. I love white cheese, y'all. Okay. And so I took, I got every piece of it, and I, got, I had it. I got me a bite. It was delicious. Oh, I loved it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you know what I did? Thank you. I said, can I have some more manual? <laughs> And Manuel being the good brother he is, go ahead, man. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. So I went in for more. So I told you, remember, I told you Manuel got the pick too. So he started with his sandwich, and he eating his sandwich, and he just leaving the mac and cheese just right there in my face while he finished his sandwich. So since he wasn't paying attention to the mac and cheese, I didn't want to feel neglected. I went in for some more. So I finally showed some restraint, and I pushed it back. And I, I didn't eat any more of that mac and cheese that I love so much. But you know what happened? I made up my mind that since it was around lunchtime, I still needed one more meal for the day. So you know what I ate for dinner? <laughs> Barbecue chicken mac and cheese from Panera Bread. Guess what? I didn't have to taste it. I had the whole thing to myself. And no, I didn't get no smaller. I got the large. <laughs> And you know why I did that? Because I had tasted and seen that the barbecue chicken mac and cheese from Panera's uh, bread, shown enough, was good. And beloved, this is what happens when you get a taste of the Lord's goodness. You say, I don't want a little bit. I need some more. I need some more. I want some more. Give me a little more. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Y'all thought I was just telling y'all a story about uh. Mac and cheese. If y'all go to Panera and get some mac and cheese, let me know because I'm going to call the manager and say, you owe me a royalty or something. Commission. Finally, let's get out of here. Thirdly, he says, communally, the way you live in a hostile world, finally, verses 4 through 10, is we must proclaim the excellencies of God. Proclaim the excellencies of God. Beginning in verse number 4, Peter uses a new metaphor. He, 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 He quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And the metaphor that he uses is that of a stone. Peter says Jesus is a living stone. And this living stone has been rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. And because believers are in Christ, because believers have been incorporated into Christ, because believers are united with Christ, we too are living stones. Just so we don't get it twisted, God is not in the business of just collecting stones. 
No, 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 no. He's using those stones for a purpose. Look at verse 5. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, what God is doing with all these living stones is he's building his church. In this spiritual house, Peter has in mind the temple, which was the dwelling place of God. He's saying now this spiritual house, the church, is the new temple of God, the new dwelling place of God. God now resides in us. God is using these stones to to build this spiritual house. We just came out of Exodus, so y'all ought to get with me right here. We've got this temple that God dwells in. Remember that in Exodus, the tabernacle, the purpose of the tabernacle was to worship God. And so now he's saying the church as a whole is now a priesthood, a holy priesthood. We don't have to have a, a, a high priest go in and make atonement on our behalf. No, we can go in on our own because of Jesus Christ. And as a priesthood, we come before God to offer him sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices, preacher? Just give you a a couple examples. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So one of the sacrifices that we offer to God, ourselves, our body, our total being. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, he says, through him, Jesus Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When you give God praise with your mouth, that is an pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what other sacrifices do we offer to God as a spiritual priesthood, a holy priesthood? Good works. Here's, uh-oh, here's this part. Sharing what you have. A stingy Christian is an oxymoron. I'll keep going. Peter makes sure we know that the spiritual house that the Lord is building up is not built on itself. Look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Friends, the spiritual house that is the church is built on nothing less than the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, he is the capstone. Jesus is the sure foundation. Through Jesus, God is building his church. His church is not built on fancy buildings. Friends, just because we've remodeled this space doesn't mean our church will grow automatically. No, 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 not, not here. It, it, when it comes in the economy of God, build it and they will come, that doesn't hold. Mm-mm. There's a lot of empty buildings right now because they thought that. Friends, the only way the church will grow is if we lift up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself said, if I be lifted up, 
I'll draw all men unto me. You want to see this neighborhood reach for Jesus? Lift the Savior high. So for those of us who believe on Christ, we are honored by God and that we have eternal life and the hope of the future return of Christ. Friends, those who do not believe reject Christ. Everybody, just so you know, everybody responds to Christ either by way of belief or by way of rejection. Peter says there's honor and shame to go with each of those responses. My brother, my friend, where are you as it relates to Christ? Do you believe that he died for your sins, was buried and rose on the third day? Do you believe that he was the son of God? Do you surrender to him as king and Lord? If you trust in Christ, you will be honored by being saved from the penalty of your sins. But if you reject him, my God, you will be put to shame and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The church, we are not those who reject Christ, but we are those, we are elect. Verse 9 through 10, here's the honor. Here's the honor but is bestowed on those who believe. You are a chosen race. That's the honor. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's the honor, friends. We are chosen for a purpose, though. As I've told you before, we're not chosen so that we can argue about predestination and foreknowledge. We're chosen for the glory of God. We're chosen, look, here's the biblical language, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, we received a new identity. Identity, excuse me. We are a holy nation, possessed by God to be the objects of his affection. But for what purpose? To be witnesses of the praiseworthy character and virtue of God. Friends, this is our mission, to make Christ known. We've got people here from the Navigators, which is a campus ministry, and I believe uh, their, their, their mission statement is something like this, to know God and to make him known. That's wonderful. When we go back, I told you we went through the book of Exodus. There was one phrase that was continually repeated, that you may know that I am the Lord. Friends, our job is to know God and to make him known. Friends, the church itself is a mission agency. Our job is to make, the, to, to spread the fame of the name of our God among people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. We are people on mission. So, beloved, no more pretending. It's time to love one another sincerely. No more mask. No more sinning against one another in attitudes, words, or actions. Let's grow up through the craving of the word of God, both privately and corporately.
One reason you ought to show up to your church uh, every Sunday is because you want to hear the word of God expounded and explained. Because you crave it. Listen, you ought to get beside yourself if you go to a church service and the word of God is not preached. Think about it. I just offended a whole lot of people, but that's all right. I know who I am. Friends, let's embrace our new identity as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How? By proclaiming the excellencies of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, let's stand.